Welcome to Neutral Site. We are your college football podcast here to help you outwit those tailgate trash talkers you'll be debating Saturday mornings all fall. More than just scores and schedules, we do that by bringing you the overlooked stories and underused data across the best sport in the world. And after a preview of week 10 of college football, my goodness, we're already there, Houston. Uh, we, of course, have some very excellent overlooked stories for the week. I mean, heck, Houston, uh, right after we recorded our episode earlier in the week, uh, you know, we touched on uh, the NFLPA creating an agreement to represent the interests of uh, college athletes. The NCAA made some big news, like literally a couple hours after we finished recording. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But maybe stand by for a little more on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot more behind it. And then while there's a big game going on in Florida this week, uh, there's an ongoing recruiting war in the state of Florida, and I'm looking forward to touching on that with a with our resident Florida host on this episode. <laughs> and moving up north, we're going to share the story of uh, Jim Harbaugh and Michigan's character really shining through as they honor a uh, scholarship of a player who will never actually end up taking a snap for him. And then we're going to share a uh, really, really interesting story, definitely overlooked in the history books and overall, of the lost unknown game of the Glassknot Bowl, which was uh, in our, written by Shannon Ryan, a great article in the Chicago Tribune. And that's how we're going to close it out. But before, Houston, we get started with the, the scores of this week and schedules of this week, I should say. How are you doing down there? Was it a little chilly this morning in San Antonio? Dude, I woke up, it was 38 degrees outside, so for those of you who are not familiar with San Antonio, that's a little rare. I know it's almost November, but man, it was freezing. I, I was telling you offline, man, I didn't even, every morning, got a tradition, walk the dogs around the neighborhood. I didn't even do it today, because it was too cold. Felt bad. <laughs> freezing. Freezing. Is that one of the, the days you walk out, you, you get the dogs ready, uh, you step out the door, you hadn't checked the temperature, and you go, oh, nope, turn around, go right back in. Not today. Pretty much, yeah. And one of our dogs, so we have two, one of our dogs loves the cold and the other one hates it. So first thing, <laughs> let him out back in the morning. He ran downstairs, did his thing, and he hauled butt right back to the bedroom and got on the bed and curled up. So, yeah, Gr he was not, not anxious the, to get out there. Gr Griff's the wacky one, isn't he? He's the one jumping in oh, the yeah. cold. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he it, loves it. Yeah, he, he'd probably live in Alaska if we let him. So. <laughs> he'd fit in out there, I think. A little small, but he's quick. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but all right, let's let's just jump right into this, Glenn. I'm excited. Well, I'm excited to get to our stories because they're kind of cool this week. But you know, you know where we got to start. This weekend, Florida, Georgia, number six, Florida, taking on number eight, Georgia, at a neutral site game. Obviously, playing in Jacksonville, Florida, two thirty kickoff. So this is interesting, Glenn. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on this, maybe. So Georgia's a six and a half point favorite. When I first looked at the line on this game, they were a three-point favorite. So they've jumped up quick. In a matter of two days, they went you know, over a field goal difference in the line. Is that bad news for Florida? Are people just not respecting what they've done so far? I don't know. I don't um, think that's a res I don't think it's that a respect line, it makes thing. me It makes me worried, though. It makes me worried. Yeah, I, I would say that's definitely something to be worried about, man. Because what you got to wonder is, like, what does Vegas know or, or what does some big money know that that we don't know because and you've said that at that kind of switch at that point is that a movement of uh vegas or is that a movement of uh betters you know what i mean like what's what's forcing the line yeah. to change 
that's the people. That's the money coming in, basically, on Georgia. So Vegas has to adjust the line to try to make it even, uh, to try to get 50% bets on each side, basically. So that means big money is coming in on Georgia, and it came in really quick. So Okay, so a neutral side game coming in, and you have a strong Georgia defense giving up only 11 points per game. How do you feel about Trask coming in there and doing what he needs to do? Do you think he can outplay from? I think he can, and so I was looking at his stats, uh, and you know, Fromm's kind of, I guess, famous for being pretty solid, right? He had big year last year. He's been pretty good this year, but if you look at the ESPN QBR, Trask is actually rated higher, which I was shocked to see. Trask has an 80.3 QBR versus Fromm's 73.5. The more and more I've watched Trask over the year, the more I'm impressed by him. He doesn't seem to get rattled. He's solid, doesn't make a lot of real bad throws. He's made a few this year, like like everybody does. Uh, but for a guy who hasn't had a lot of experience in the last you know four or five years, really, he's he's looked solid. Will he outplay him on Saturday? Who knows? But does he have the potential to outplay him? Yeah, I, th- I think he does. Well, he's got to turn it up. But if regardless of really what happens in the game, we know at the very least the fans will be having fun. So you had a note in here, Houston. I you implied that it's they need to bring back the title of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I thought that was when did it go away? That's the it only went away way I know probably it. six seven years ago, maybe even more. They stopped using that as kind of the official uh, nickname for the game. So now you know they'll call it the world's largest outdoor party. Or they're, they're trying to get rid of the word cocktail in there. People still use it, obviously. I don't know why. I don't see why it's that bad of a thing. I guess I get kind of the, the PR behind it, but man, bring it back. Cause that's what we all still call it, man. Let's so go. The, the neutral site stance uh, is we will be wa- enjoying and watching the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, or at least the game uh, surrounding that event. So we're looking forward that's to right. Houston. That will be, I'm sure uh, I won't be getting a lot of text during that one. Uh, Houston will be on lockdown. Keep an eye on that one. I mean, that that's huge. That decides the East and then basically decides once LSU and Alabama plays, good chance that the winner of this game and next week's LSU-Alabama decides who's going to actually be playing in the SEC championship. Yeah, yeah, most likely. So this is big for both these teams. Um, who needs it more? I don't know. It depends on who you ask. But this would be big, big for Florida if you want to consider them back. You know, we always say, is Texas back? So <laughs> if, if Florida wants to be considered back, I think they, they need this victory. But it's going to be a tough one. They got some of their key players that have been out the last couple of weeks coming back. So that should help, but it's going to be a tough game. We'll see how it goes. All right. Out West, there's a couple tough games too. Let's start, Glenn, let's start with Oregon at USC. So we've talked quite a bit about both these teams really uh, over the life of this podcast this year so far. Oregon comes in at a four and a half point favorite. I was kind of surprised to see that. Does that mean USC is a little better than we think, or maybe Oregon's not as strong? I expected them to be, even though they're playing on the road, I expected them to be a little more of a favorite versus USC. But man, USC, they're they're playing pretty good right now, I guess. Well, I think it's that, and I think it's the just the likelihood of it being like a trap game. I think taking into account the fact this is a huge game going to be at USC. Night game, uh, number seven Oregon coming in. You know USC wants that. And honestly, USC... While, sure, they're not ranked or not um, on their way to a New Year's Six by any means, they're having a kind of a, I would say it's a growth year for them, and it feels like they've moved a step in the right direction with finding Slovis. And so having all that in, in mind, I think it's just going to be a challenging for Oregon uh, in the sense of can they go into USC, maintain discipline, 
overcome the momentum and the excitement and the energy uh, that USC will have. And they've already done it once this year when they beat Washington on the road. And that was a close game. Uh, we touched on that, of course, was 35-31. So I, I think that's what we're, they're looking at here. Is it just being the kind of game where USC really gets up for it and makes it a tougher matchup than maybe just the stat book would look like? Yeah, I, I really want to sit down and watch this game because I, oh, I just yeah. think this has Pac-12 written all over it. Something crazy oh. is going to happen here. I wouldn't be shocked if USC beats them by 14. I'm not saying they're going to, but that's the kind of stuff you get <laughs> in the Pac-12. Yeah. This is going to be a good game. I'm, I'm excited to watch it. And it's a big weekend and are, for the Pac-12. It is. Big time, big time. And both these teams still kind of control their uh, fate in the Pac-12. They both uh, control their destiny in their division. So big, big game, but not the only big game in the Pac-12. We also got Utah traveling up to Washington to take on the Huskies. Utah. Also surprising here, to me at least, three-point favorite. I thought they would be a little higher, but like like you kind of mentioned for several Pac-12 teams, really, Washington's been a little up and down, but, man, Utah's looked really, really solid. Another thing I was surprised to see is that we haven't really discussed the ESPN-FPI recently, um, but they give Washington the edge in this one. So I thought that was interesting. Why, Glenn, do you think there's something behind that? Is it because Washington's coming off a bye? Man, Utah's looked... Really, really good. So I was, I was thinking they were going to be more of a heavily favored team in this game, but apparently not. Well, I think it's partially the fact that uh, it's similar to what we said about what I said about USC it being at home for Washington. Um, although this one's at three in the afternoon, I think a part of it is. I mean, Chris Peterson's the highest paid coach in the Pac-12 for a reason. He's he's an excellent mm-hmm. coach, and Washington, even though they've you know lost Oregon, uh, which was their last game, they've had a buy off to. Uh, Kind of, kind of get prepared. They lost to Stanford at Stanford, which was a bad loss, and then Cal early, yeah. earlier in the year. They're still a good team, and I think that's yeah. what uh, you're looking at here. Is that sure they lost, but they're still a very solid team at home against Utah. Chris Peterson has had two weeks to prepare. Um, they got a good shot still to, to really, you know, steal a win here. Of course, Utah still favored, and for good reason. You know, they come in with a, a very strong defense. Uh, ranked in the top 10 in most you know, points per game, yards per game, points per play, yards per play. So strong mm-hmm. defense against Washington, as well as having a uh, fairly strong running game. with. And we mentioned the Zach Moss, uh, you know, set some Ute record books last week. So yep. strong running game for them, strong defense. That's what gives them the edge here against Washington. And it's just, again, a matter of can Washington have the momentum to, to steal a win and create <laughs> more Pac-12 craziness, which, I mean, come on, we kind of want that. We kind of want that. I'm not. I'm not rooting against Utah here, obviously, but yeah, it would be. I like when the Pac-12 is very interesting, and it has been all year. So we'll see if this game can kind of keep that trend going, and maybe it will. All right, guys, there's still time to get tickets for these games. We just talked about three of the more exciting games of the week. So if you need tickets to these games, there's only one place to get them, and that's the Vivid Seats mobile app. So if you don't have that on your phone already, you're missing out. If you're a first-time customer of Vivid Seats, go download that app, the Vivid Seats mobile app. Look up the tickets you want. It could be one of the three games we just talked about. Buy those tickets with the Vivid Seats mobile app and use our promo code OVERTIME. That's one word. Use that promo code and you can save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. So again, if you're a first-time customer, download the Vivid Seats mobile app. Use our promo code OVERTIME. That's one word. Go buy your tickets and save up to $100. 
on any ticket purchase. Enjoy the games. All right, Glenn, an interesting game. College game day, traveling to Memphis, I think for the first time. I could, I could be wrong there, but I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the first time that they're headed to Memphis. SMU traveling into town, undefeated SMU. Yeah, 8-0. Uh, no. Yeah, which I, you know, still kind of surprising. Memphis, six-point favorite. That also was surprising to me, and so I looked into it a little more. Memphis has been playing uh, yeah. solid. Yep. You know, they've been had a good year so far. I want to get your, just real quick, first, This I, I don't know if you want to call this a hot take or not. What are your thoughts on, with, with the three games we just discussed, what are your thoughts on game day traveling to Memphis for this game? Do you like it? I, it's 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 it is surprising, especially with Florida Georgia. But here's what I'd say: Florida Georgia happens every, you know every year, so like there's plenty of opportunity. I going into this uh, our like schedule preview, mm-hmm. I was thinking this is probably one of the, in my opinion, most interesting group of five games in some time it, it, over the last few years. You know, I don't know if it's number one over the last five plus years, but it's mm-hmm. up there for me. Uh, Simply because I, I think SMU, I mean, SMU's 8-0. I think that surprised a lot of people what they've done. And then Memphis is still a very good team at 7-1 and one as far as uh, particularly group of five. So I think it, it makes yeah. a very big matchup. And again, not just group of five, but in the uh, AAC in, in particular, it's a it's a big game uh, in terms of because Navy's creeping right behind uh, SMU and Memphis as well yeah. is right behind them. I mean, there's still a lot to be said in the West Division of uh, the American Conference. So I think it's a very interesting group of five one, and I kind of like that they they're doing something different, you know. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I, my obviously, me being a Gator fan, and my gut reaction was like, "What? You're not going to Florida, Georgia?" But um, I get it. I, I think this this is exciting. It'll be cool for the school there and the city of Memphis to have game day. This could be a shootout. The over under seventy. Yeah, so. that's why I think it's good, <laughs> man. Really good. Yeah, expect- two really good offenses coming in here. For sure. Yeah. So expect a bunch of. Uh, Offensive fireworks, if you will. SMU, out of all their wins, four of them have been fewer than by fewer than seven points. So that's something to look out for too. Should be a good game, Glenn. If whoever wins this game, we got to start taking them a little more seriously. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I, I think would uh, one of these teams, and not just them. Still, I, I think you have to still take into account. You know, there's Cincinnati out there, uh, and also Navy sitting at six and one, four and one in the conference. Those four teams. Uh, all have a real shot at being a, a group of five in the New Year's Six Bowl talk. So this is a huge game sure. in that uh, outcome and where, where it goes from here. Agreed. And speaking of Navy, they had a big win earlier in the year over Air Force. So Air Force needs a win over Army this weekend. That's the next game we're going to talk about. Uh, again, a, another battle of the service academies. We love this one. Air Force coming in, big-time favorite, 16-point favorite. They, that line has actually moved a couple points over the last a couple of days, so people are feeling pretty confident uh, in Air Force's ability to get this yeah. done. Army, they're struggling, man. They lost four straight. Air Force won three straight. So th- this could be fun still, though, right? I-, I think so, and I think going back to one of our previous episodes on the Commander-in-Chief's trophy, uh, Air Force has already lost to Navy, uh, so uh, Navy in a good position there. Army mm-hmm. needs to win this one to have a chance at retaining uh, the Commander-in-Chief and, stay- and, and really – continuing one of their best runs in a long while for them. Yeah, uh, yeah. Again, looking at that line and looking at the way that Army has struggled this year, which is a little surprising um, considering the, the the schedule that it looked like they had coming into this season and the way they played last year. Um, 
it's not looking promising for for Army Army's chance of holding on to that. But hey, man, you never know. Uh, at Air Force, at altitude, it's a tough place to play. Uh, but if anybody could do it, Army could, and uh, make it for an interesting end of the season game against Navy. Yep. So uh, I'm not saying I'm going to root for Army, obviously as an Air Force guy, but I'm hoping for a good game here. It's always exciting. All right, let's head back to the Big 12. West Virginia traveling to Baylor to take on the 12th ranked team in the country. <laughs> Baylor, huge favorite in this one, 18 point favorite. This is a Thursday night game, so they play tonight. Um, so it's something to keep an eye on. Baylor, man, their offense is looking pretty good 39 points per game, and West Virginia is giving up 33 points per game. The over-under on this one is 56, which is kind of interesting with those numbers. Maybe it's just because West Virginia's offense has been struggling. Are you, Glenn, are you going to watch this being a, you know, the our local Big 12 resident <laughs> yeah, expert, yeah. if you will? Um, what do you what do you think about this game? I mean, Baylor should be able to take care of business here, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. that I'll follow. I'll be following the game, uh, checking in on it. West Virginia has been struggling, had a rough year in general, uh, particularly a rough run against Texas, Iowa State, and Oklahoma, which aren't bad losses. I think the only things that really make it interesting here is the fact that Baylor uh, is, is sitting here at 8-0 eight, eight and, and, and in the best position to win the Big 12 just based on record alone and a very favorable schedule to close out the year. But uh, it's a Thursday night game, so football every day. If, if I can have it, I'll take it. Uh, and, and you just don't know. Like, Baylor hasn't played a ton of competition of tense competition so we don't know how full like what level they're really at and i don't know man this is one of those things that could get kind of wacky i doubt it um but i'll, I'll be keeping track because if it starts getting funky i'll be turning it on and, and watching it uh, each play <laughs> just for that reason and baylor they got tcu next week yeah so could this oh, be a yeah. look ahead game heavy heavy favorite oh, be awesome. rival next week uh, something to think about. I, I got to be honest. I, I want Baylor to come in undefeated to that one. I, yeah. I don't have high hopes for, for TCU necessarily either, but, man, that'd be that'd be something. That'd be for a better game. For sure, for sure. All right, let's stick in the Big 12, the Sunflower <laughs> Showdown. Yes. We, I think we touched on this uh, last episode. Kansas State traveling to Lawrence to take on the Jayhawks of Canva, Kansas. Again, I I didn't know this rivalry was so deep and slightly intense. Glenn, this was interesting. This is the sixth longest active series in college wow. football. I'm not going to you know, rattle off the other top five, but I was surprised to see that. I think they've played every year since 1911 or something like that. So that's, that's kind of cool. Kansas State comes in as a six-point favorite, uh, and that's probably because Kansas has given up 33 points per game. We all know what Kansas State did last week pulling off one of the major upsets of the year against Oklahoma Sunflower Showdown. This could get fun, though. Yeah, yeah, it could. I mean, they're, you can understand kind of why there's rivalry considering how long they've been playing and the fact that they're separated by like mm-hmm. 70 miles just about. Yeah, Kansas, yeah. big win against Texas Tech as far as they're concerned and, and <laughs> with a very interesting finish at home with Kansas State. I'm sure uh, the Jayhawks would love nothing more than to ruin K-State's momentum as well. That's right. So could be an interesting game. Should be an interesting game. All right, let's stick in the Big 12. Last Big 12 preview here. TCU traveling up to take on Oklahoma State. 2.30 kick. Oklahoma State at home is a three-point favorite. They're both coming off some pretty good upsets. Glenn, as we do every week, I'm going to let you lead the oh, discussion thank you. on thank this. Thank you, sir. Um, there, you got some good notes in here. I'm interested to get your thoughts and your feelings on can TCU travel up north and, and get it done. 
it's a hard place to play, and I think I've shared that each time I've talked about Stillwater. I've been there. I've been to a TCU game there. Uh, it is loud, noisy. They put the TCU fans or away fans off in the corner of the horseshoe. So it is a tough place to play. Um, both teams are coming up off uh, off of upsets. They both have a very strong run game. Of course, you know uh, about uh, Chuba Hubbard. Just I'm very nervous about trying to – you can't stop him. I don't even know if we can slow him down. But I think that's yeah. uh, where the battle is in, in many respects. Uh, and then you also have to watch out for Talon Wallace. Uh, meanwhile, TCU, people uh, kind of underrate their run game right now with Darius Anderson and Shea Nula. Both are very strong runners. And, and TCU has a very strong run game overall. Both teams are sitting in the top 20 in uh, rushing yards per game. So I think that's where people will focus. But I think what's most interesting about this game, actually, Houston, is the quarterback situation. What makes it interesting is that both these teams are looking at their freshman quarterbacks and probably what they expect to be the future of their franchises. So Spencer Sanders out at, o- at Oklahoma State and TCU's Max Duggan. Uh, Duggan's numbers are a little bit more efficient and a, l- a better QBR. Spencer Sanders has a little bit more experience, and you have to take into account because he started earlier in the year as a freshman, probably has uh, he's got like 10 interceptions, which is pretty high. Max Duggan finally threw his first last week. But part of that is the nature of the fact that Spencer got thrown into the game uh, or into the games, into the season very quickly. And uh, it's kind of trial by fire. So I think the the matchup uh, on the running games is telling of the game. I think the quarterbacks are the story of the future. And as always, Mike Gundy, Gary Patterson, I think that's a great matchup every time they get a chance to play. And they've been doing it a long time against each other. Yeah, this one should be fun. I'm hoping it'll be fun. I'll be pulling for TCU a little bit. Oh, thanks, buddy. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll be watching because I think this this has uh, potential to be maybe like most interesting game of the week. I don't know. Oh, we'll see how it goes. Oh, man. I, I'm flattered by that, but I think there are, there are just too many other good ones. I will say it, what it would set up is if Baylor does do what they need to do at home uh, against West Virginia and TCU gets the upset here at Oklahoma State, then I think that does actually create a very uh, prob- probably underrated game next week maybe of Baylor at TCU uh, if yeah. that's the case. All right, well, good luck to TCU headed up to Stillwater. All right, let's move on to Virginia Tech, Notre Dame. Notre Dame's a heavy favorite in this one, 17.5-point spread. But this could get interesting. Virginia Tech's been a little sneaky this year. Uh, they've been playing pretty well in Obviously, Notre Dame's coming off that rough, rough loss. Question of the day, can they recover? Virginia Tech, they're allowing 30 points per game, so Notre Dame will probably have some chances to score. Um, But in the meantime, Virginia Tech has won three straight, and they're coming off a bye week. So that's always important, especially in college football. But again, Notre Dame, heavy favorite here. I, I don't know. Could be interesting. This isn't quite the Virginia Tech team of the past what two decades at this yeah, point? Yeah, their defense has really struggled. Know. Yeah, I mean, you know, an interesting thing. This. An interesting thing I saw in in this game was Notre Dame has won 15 consecutive games at home. It's their third longest streak since Notre Dame Stadium opened in 1930. I was surprised by this. Wow. I thought they might have a couple more uh, longer winning streaks in there. And, you know, especially back in the the early days, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s. You think Notre Dame would have some longer streaks? 15 games. Impressive, though, in its own right. So we'll see if they can keep that going. Yeah. All right, Glenn, I had to throw this game in kind of last minute for selfish reasons. Miami and FSU. FSU, three-point favorite. Man, 
I would be remiss if I didn't mention this game. Growing up, man, as a kid in the state of Florida, my whole family is is Miami fans. This was the game of the year. Uh, probably wasn't only the game of the year for us, but much of the nation kind of had their eyes on this. A lot of national titles kind of uh, were determined by the winner of this game. It was always very, very interesting. The amount of NFL talent that's come out of both of these schools is immense. Uh, they're both kind of dis- disappointing seasons so far this year. They're both coming in at four and four. Glenn, I'm not sure if this is still a national, you know, game. You no, know, sorry, the, probably you know, not. Houston. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, but man, I, I, I had to mention it, man. I don't know. You're, you're a bit younger than me, so I don't know if you grew up keeping an eye on <laughs> Miami and FSU. But, man, back in the day, this was the game of the year, I think. No, I, I agree, man. I think just looking at it, you're almost sad looking at going into this game just because you're looking at like the the law, like you're looking at the lost greatness of games almost. I mean, we talk about the the beauty and the history of college football and, and the power of rivalries and how much more fun that adds into football and the stories behind them. I think you look at this one, it's a historically a great rivalry that's really dropped off and so it's pretty disappointing Miami's really been up and down and they're just recently right named the new quarter named a new quarterback uh, for their team so they're trying to figure out who they are what direction they want to go and man Willie Tiger in Florida State I, all I see are, are kind of heat and negative headlines for him yeah. got to be hard down there it does for sure so Miami has won the last two I've seen a couple guarantees from Florida State players that they'll pull this one out though so Ooh, could cool. be interesting the, probably the most important uh, thing in this game is going to be the future of recruiting for both these schools it means a lot in Florida uh, in South Florida specifically who's the better team where do you want to go Florida State or Miami so the recruiting thing is a is a big storyline to to watch here and that's going to lead us Glenn into our overlooked stories so there's some uh Florida recruiting wars going on basically at this point. So we came across a really, really cool story uh, from Banner Society, and they have something that they are calling the Sunshine State Scorecard. Nailed it. Mm, yeah, I like that. Oh, yeah. You, you, did you, how much did you practice that before we got on the show? Come like on, 18 times. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, think I, I think I got it. Um, so, so there's some interesting uh, recruiting battles going on, not only within the state of Florida, but uh, – out-of-state schools coming into Florida and, and kind of poaching. I don't want to say poaching because that sounds bad, but getting some of the talent, uh, mining some of the some of the high-level talent out of Florida. So we all know, right, if, if you're a college football fan, Florida is a hotbed for high school talent, um, has been for quite some time. On an average year over the last, you know, 20 years, there are about 45 to 50 four- and five-star players coming out of Florida alone, which is pretty impressive. Uh, In the last 36 years, schools from Florida, so the big three, have won 11 of those 36 national titles. And then the two border states, Georgia and Alabama, have won eight more national titles in those 36 years. Uh, And a lot, if you you go through and look at Georgia and Alabama rosters, you'll see a lot of Floridians on there. but there's some interesting stuff going on in Florida, Glenn. A lot of these uh, big schools, Clemson, Ohio State, Bama, they're coming into town, and they're, uh, they're taking a lot of the talent out of Florida, which does not bode well uh, for some of these Florida schools. No, no. I mean, looking at the scorecard, which is absolutely fascinating, and you and I have this argument, you know, better football state, better, better talent. 
And regardless of what is the number one up there in the top four all the time, in my opinion, at least is, is California, Texas, Ohio, and Florida. And I think that's built out or would be supported by the evidence. So it's interesting yeah. hearing, though, how these local schools have been starting to lose because Texas has a similar problem, uh, although I haven't seen a scorecard for that. What surprised me for the Sunshine scorecard, Houston, I don't know what stood out to you the yeah. most, was to see such things as like Georgia Tech up there stealing some recruits and then Oregon. And I know Oregon's cool and fun, but to go across the, I mean, a country, almost as far across country as you can almost get is pretty incredible. Yeah, it really is. And, ju- and just to kind of talk about the stats, I, I, you know, back in 2005, the the big three schools mainly, but all, overall Florida schools, they were keeping about 60 to 65% of the blue chips, meaning, you know, four and five star players. They were keeping them in state, but uh, in this most recent recruiting year in 2019, it was down to about 50% and maybe even a little under that. So it's dropped fairly significantly. Uh, but but where it really gets interesting is in the really, really high-tier talent, these big-time five stars. So if you're a top 100 recruit from Florida, typically you would stay in-state. and you, you, you would go to Miami or Florida State or Florida, but that's not necessarily the case. It's those numbers have been dropping uh, fairly significantly, man. So that's it's could be concerning for the the big three schools. And there's you know some of the obvious reasons, right? Are kind of the big three. They, they've been down, man. Florida hasn't been great. Florida State, Miami, they've been struggling like we just talked about. So I, the kids growing up these days, man. I like I added the the Florida State Miami game in because when I was growing up, that was. That was where, where it was at, you know. If you were a, a five star out of South Florida, you went to one of those two schools, or maybe Florida. Um, let me, let but me nowadays, that isn't the case. Well, let me ask you this too. So uh, the, the 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 exodus is interesting in terms of what's driving it. I, I, what counts? Do you happen to know? I, I don't know if you, if it was in the article clearly, or if you know elsewhere, what counts as being like an in-state recruit? And and here's the context where I'm thinking. Uh, there's that school out there in Florida. I think it's called the IMG Academy, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so within the article, so they, it, with their numbers, they did not count IMG players. So they, they, a lot they of put, them, yeah, exactly. Cause they yeah, come from out, of, from state out of state and then they leave. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Just one to, which makes it even more concerning. So what do you think then is driving it? Does the, does the expand, like, I know this is, <laughs> this is like so um, cliche, but is the internet and, and the openness of communication is that part of what's driving this, do you think, where these other brands can become national brands more easily and where it's easier to communicate with players regardless and so you stay less close to home? Or do you think it's also, or, or do you think it's more about maybe the, the weakening of the brand of Florida schools? So more, I guess, strengthening a brand of other schools or weakening the brands of Florida schools? I, I think it's both, not to, not to set the fence, but I think the internet has played a big role in this. I think uh, with social media, it's easy to go see what, you know, Clemson is doing, to go see what Alabama's doing. It's it's easier to stay in contact with them. Some of those schools have done a great great job of boosting their brand, showing their facilities. I think the facilities, this is oh yeah. something that, that that most people don't talk about, but for a long time, Miami and Florida and even Florida State a little bit were were known to have some uh, facilities that weren't up to par with some of these other big schools. And I know they're trying to overcome that and make up for that at this point. But man, if, if you're Alabama or LSU or Ohio State, you can go on Twitter or Instagram and show off your multi multi million dollar facilities. I think that makes a 
a big, big difference. So yeah, I, I do think the internet has played a, a, a big role in this. The interweb, the will kids it, love the interweb. They do, they do. If you can, you know, tweet at Alabama football and they get back to you, <laughs> that's a pretty big deal, I would think. Um, so yeah, I, th- I, th- I think, you know, like most most of us, right, the, the internet has made the world a smaller place, and I think that goes for football recruiting as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey, uh, did you notice who had uh, the most blue chip football recruits? This, uh, this past year, 2019. Are you going to say Texas? It was Texas. Yeah, yeah it was. Well, just, uh, did you look at the per capita numbers, though? <laughs> I don't think those were on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, te- Texas Texas is a great, great football state. Obviously, of course, me being in San Antonio, I, I love uh, Texas football. But if you look at per capita numbers and the population numbers, I, Florida, per capita I mean, is the made up word as far as I'm concerned. You just you just make you just throwing things out there. All right. Yeah. All right. So, so this is an interesting article. We'll share it in the show notes. I thought it was cool. We'll see how this plays out for the future of Florida football. Not, not just the Florida Gators, but Florida State, Miami, even UCF and USF. We'll see if they can start keeping some of that uh, homegrown talent within this state. So, something to keep an eye on for Florida. All right, Glenn. This next story is is both kind of sad and and has a happy ending, though, right? Yeah. Uh, so, Michigan had a quarterback recruit out of the Phoenix area, out of Arizona. Uh, His name is J.D. Johnson. Uh, I think he was a three-star quarterback, uh, had played in some some high-level camps and and has several accolades. And he was born with a birth defect that affected his heart, and I I believe specifically his aorta. I'm not going to try to read the name of the condition because I'll butcher it. we're but, podcasters, not uh, doctors here. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so recently, he's had some complications with that. Okay, and and the doctors kind of ruled out his future in football, and they uh, recommended he no longer play the sport. And he's in. He's basically in between his senior year and his uh, freshman year at Michigan. So they offered him a scholarship. Now he has this condition. Obviously, not going to be able to go play for Michigan, but. A really, really cool story is the University of Michigan and, and Jim Harbaugh are going to honor his scholarship. So they're going to allow him uh, to come on campus at University of Michigan, which we all know is a great school, and they're going to still uh, give him his scholarship. And they've even extended an offer uh, for him to be part of the coaching staff in, in one way or another. The details are not up on that, but I don't think that's important. This is a really, really cool story. I'm sure when when JD got this news, he was, you know, crushed by it, not being able to go fulfill his dreams at University of Michigan. So this is really cool what that school and what Harbaugh uh, is doing up there. This was just a, a feel good story, right? Oh man, it was, I, it was devastating to read to just imagine what he would have to go through to lose his dream like he was. But uh, you love. I don't know how you don't love, again, college football when you see the story like that. Going back to how we ended last episode uh, with Chuba Hubbard's quote about college football, about how it runs with generations, reading mm-hmm. his tweet just tells you how much Harbo, how much the football program, how much Michigan is now, if it already wasn't, which it was, is now just locked into his future bloodline for, for I mean, almost completely as I think yeah. I mean that almost literally in the sense of now it's just going to be pumping through him because he's so thankful and appreciative and loved his maturity on how he handled it 
again, dude, this is what we talk about, man. This is what makes college football great is the stories like this. And not all teams, not all coaches are like this, which I think is why it's so, so important to highlight it and to not overlook it because this this is the right thing to do, and that's Harbaugh doing it. And I think also important to call out Houston is we've talked talked about it, at least earlier in the year, right? They were they're quick every year now to start calling for his head when yeah. he's not when he's not on par with Ohio State immediately, um, or or at all, you, you know, because for all we know he might not get there. And we talked about who are you going to replace him with that's going to be better. And I think this is a facet that is undervalued in looking for college coaches. And if in our conversations with um, our friends over at Sports Source Analytics, we talk about that is how important culture is in, in, to a program and how important a coach's ability to build that, like people like Bill Snyder. And Jim Harbaugh is doing exactly that. This is a culture-building technique, and I think it's it's fully sincere. You know, this isn't a, a stunt by him. This is a sincere part of his culture. And I think you have mm-hmm. to take that into account. Could you replace, like, I, there are a lot of great coaches out here who would do that. But that is a character trait and a culture trait you should want in your program and in your team because it will make you better. For sure, yeah. I think this is a big deal, especially like when you take into consideration like if, if they're going to give him a scholarship, they're likely losing out on potential to get another player. Right. Uh, this is, yeah, really, really cool story for Michigan. Props and to not, them. We all know that they're a class organization, and this this is just further proof. So is. this is cool. And, and not just a scholarship. What it said is they he wanted him to come onto the staff and help yeah. the team any way he can. I, I mean that's awesome. And and still trying to like find a good fit for him as well as giving him a chance to still make an impact on the team. It's awesome. That's right. Yeah, really really cool story. So again, we'll we'll share a link to this. Um, it's starting to get out there a little more, but it's still not kind of in the mainstream. I don't think so. We'll share some links for this. Really cool story. It'll make you make you happy to read it. All right, Glenn, this last story is very interesting. Uh, it is the story of the lost and unknown history of the Glassnosed Bowl. I think I'm pronouncing that at least uh, close to correct. And as you mentioned, this is from Shannon Ryan of the uh, Chicago Tribune. Really, really cool story. Glenn, do you want to lead us through this? Do you want me to give yeah. a little background? Or This was, this was kind of a, a neat read. Oh, it really was. I mean, Shannon Ryan's putting out some... Good stuff. We did the Oluwole uh, Bediku story, the the lineman for the defensive lineman for Illinois, and she wrote that as well. Um, and this was we talk about all the time, Houston, how college football is international in some respects and tries to be, and how you and I, I think yeah. find it pretty interesting how it goes international from players coming to play here, from teams like Illinois going to Dublin, which was the driving, I think, influence behind her writing this story. So the story is around in 1989, right? There was a plan. Which is key. Sorry to interrupt. That that year is key. I mean, that's a big deal for this story. Yeah. 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 Houston, why don't you you educate me and my other fellow youths? uh, What was going on in that time frame since you're such a wise man? It was basically the the end, you know, the the Cold War uh, between U.S. and the USSR was coming to an end at that point, I believe. I saw something in the article about, I think it was two months after this game was supposed to be played, spoiler alert, um, was when the Berlin <laughs> Wall was taken down. I mean, one of the, the most monumental moments in the history of the world, I would think. Yeah. So oh, yeah. And so the it was fact tense. That, 
yeah, very tense. So the fact that they were even trying to do this was a, a big, big deal. So anyway, sorry to, sorry to interrupt, but go ahead. No, I, thanks for, thanks for uh, educating <laughs> us. Um, we would share more about their bone on wall and, and cold war, but uh, we're a college football podcast. Uh, Wikipedia is there. <laughs> so this game going, going on during this time frame, uh, there was a planned game between Illinois and USC who were both ranked going into the season uh, to play uh, in Moscow. So yeah. that's, I mean, that's like, you think about also contextually, Houston, the NBA games that were going on in China when that news was coming out after the tweets by Durham Morley. So you think about that, yeah. and then you think about <laughs> like the tenseness that maybe some of the players felt in the NBA. Like, triple that, quadruple that, not to take anything away from them oh, in, yeah. in their situation. But this is Russia. You're going to Russia in the Cold yeah. War to play a football game. And it took five years for them to try to make it happen, I think it was, it may, that we know of even. And they agreed, the two sides, USSR and, and the U.S., agreed to broadcast a five-minute instructional video to be shown in the Soviet <laughs> television during the months before the game just to explain the rules, the positions, when do you cheer at a football game. So there really was a good level of commitment because the logistics were complex in terms of how do you get the right gear there, is the field set up the right way, are the locker rooms uh, set up the right way, and do, they, do, they, do we even have the hotels and the food for the players? A lot to go into it. But they found a way to try to make it work, and they ended up unfortunately canceling it in June just before the season was getting going. They ended up moving the game to Los Angeles where Illinois, who was, I think, 22nd in the nation, beat fifth-ranked USC, 14-13 uh, was the final score there. And, yeah. I, I mean, it, that's one of the coolest games that never happened. It's got to be. It is, yeah. And to go back, you were mentioning in the uh, instructional video. I thought that was hilarious. Um, but... The interesting little tidbit in the article was the the Russians are so or at the at the time at least were so unfamiliar with what football was all about uh, that they they thought it was much much more violent than it actually is. It's a violent <laughs> game, um, but they were asking they were you know trying to you know come to terms with what all they needed to have ready for the American football teams to come over. So they were asking how many ambulances were needed. <laughs> Uh, they, they said, well, you know, and then Illinois said, Hey, we always have one on hand. So I think one will do Russia was the Russian, uh, organization was concerned that they don't have enough to take away the dead. Oh um, my God. Because they thought the game again was just much, much more violent than it actually is. I don't know where they were getting that information from, but you know, Soviet Union back in the 80s probably weren't watching a yeah. lot of college football well uh, so i thought that was a interesting by. tidbit yeah yeah another thing too is a kind of a college football nerd the quarterback matchup in this game again illinois usc the quarterback matchup was jeff george versus todd marinovich mm, yeah. uh, so if, if if you're a college football fan like i am you probably are familiar with both those names i thought that was uh really really cool and that was the year andre Ware was just running over everyone for Houston. Oh yeah, he had like eight eight thousand total yards or something ridiculous like that. And, and here was the beauty too of, the, of that season. That season, nineteen eighty nine season, um, AP preseason number one team, Michigan AP final number one school, Miami. There you go, Miami yeah, national boys. title. I mean, this is back. <laughs> uh, Virginia was winning. Virginia and Duke were top of the ACC. <laughs> Different times. Different times. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Virginia Virginia was tied with Clemson, ten and two. Uh, they were up there. Oh, that's right. Duke okay. still had six and one. Man. Different, different day and era. Oh, for sure. I was 
Well, we'll get into it. Was Spurrier the Duke coach? Maybe that's why they were so good at that point. I don't know. Ooh. Anyways, interesting year in college football. I, I was shocked to see Jeff George versus Todd Marinovich was only 14-13. I thought it would be higher scoring than yeah. that. Hey, good call. Steve kind Spurrier was the coach of Duke, man. There you go. Ready to go. A little fact check for you. Well, All right, Glenn, was, we got one was, more yeah. mention here, right? Yeah, we got, we got one thing closing because, you know, there was a lot going on um, in the world at that point. Uh, I don't know if college football – I don't know if I could say college football was simpler, but it might have been because right nowadays uh, we've hit on it at least every other episode. Um, the amount of money that's in college football now and the fact that college athletes uh, aren't co- cash compensated for this is a big deal. Right, we've talked about the fair to pay to play. We talked about the NFLPA uh, pairing up with a college college football rights group. I, I think is I can't remember the exact name of them, but yeah. hours after we recorded our, this episode earlier in the week, the NCAA uh, made an announcement that created a flurry of uh, tweets and uh, media statements. Now, most of the media, you know, probably only seventy. Probably 75% of the media headlines were inaccurate because what they stated is NCAA is allowing payers to get played. What the actual uh, announcement was is that the Board of Governors are starting the process to enhance, or, or excuse me, to allow uh, name, image, and likeness opportunities, compensation mm-hmm. opportunities for athletics. So it is both a big deal, but not as big of a deal as people made it out to be. There's going to be more on this. We just want to make sure we're calling it out because we've been hitting on it every time. And because, Houston, we are going to be diving deeper into this very soon. I know we've promised that a couple different times, but we are just trying to lock in the scheduling of when we're going to record it. And then we're going to spend a decent bit more time on this topic. And I can't wait, man. I'm, I'm fascinated by it, and I'm fired up, as you know. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So, so again, stand by for more info on that. As Glenn mentioned, we will do a deeper dive. We're going to do an entire episode on that topic alone. We're going to give you some background information, some current events on what's going on, and then give you some opinions. Uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. College football, it's great. It's always evolving right in front of our eyes, and so we're going to discuss that quite a bit. And that's just another reason why college football is the greatest sport in the world. All right, that is going to do it for us today. Thanks for listening to Neutral Site. We appreciate being your college football podcast. And whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or even Google Podcast, make sure you go in there, subscribe, and better yet, leave us a review. We want your feedback. Uh, don't forget to check out our show notes at NeutralSitePodcast.com. That site also has links to all of our social media accounts, but you can follow us, hit us up on Twitter at NeutralSiteCast. On Instagram, we're at NeutralSite. We hope you enjoyed, and we hope you can use these overlooked stories and underused data at the tailgate this weekend.